Welcome to the Faith Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Pastor Carrick Butler II. We believe today's message will empower you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Here's today's message. All summer long, we've been teaching from the book of James and the book of Jude so we can conclude our verse-by-verse study with finishing the book of Jude tonight. Jude chapter 1 is only one chapter. Has anyone enjoyed our verse-by-verse study teaching that we've done all summer long on these two books? To give you a little bit of review before we jump into what the Holy Ghost has for us tonight, when studying the books of the Bible, it is important to know the author, the audience, when it was written, and the occasion for the writing. When studying the books of the Bible, it's important to know the author, the audience, when it was written, and the occasion for the writing. Now, you can pull a scripture out of a text and it can bless you, and that's great. But if you want to understand more, you have to understand the context. And those questions help you understand the context of the writing. One of the things we tend to do is we look at words and we apply modern-day definitions to those words. You have to understand, a lot of portions of this book were written between two to 4,000 years ago to specific audiences. And if you want to understand what the Holy Ghost is trying to get across to them, you have to understand the timing and the audience. In addition to that, a lot of these writers knew that what they wrote was going to be read after they were gone. So if you want even greater revelation, you want to understand what was the purpose of the Holy Ghost moving upon these people's hearts to write these letters. So we said the book of Jude was written between A.D. 60 and A.D. 80. We said Jude is the youngest brother of Jesus. He said Jude in Greek is a form of the name Judah. We said the audience of the book of Jude is all believers. We see in verse 4 that he talks about, he says writing, wanted to write about our common salvation or our shared salvation or salvation belonging to many people. So he's saying I wanted to write to you about one thing, but it was more important that I write to you about this issue. And what he wrote about is the occasion for the writing. He told them in verse 3 that they should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So he tells them to earnestly contend for the faith, which means to fight intensely for what we believe. What we believe came from God himself, and he gave it to his people forever. It's not just engaging in dialogue in society that's fighting for the faith. Sometimes fighting for the faith is fighting to make sure you stay in the faith, and you don't yield to the culture or opposing world views. There are many different world views. You have to choose which one you follow. Everybody was made for preaching. Everybody. Believer, non-believer, everybody's made for preaching. Everybody has a preacher in their life. It doesn't mean the preacher is in a pulpit or goes to church. Jay-Z is a preacher. Lady Gaga is a preacher. Politicians are preachers. Oprah is a preacher. News reporters are preachers. What are they doing? Giving information. Whether you agree with it or not, they are proclaiming something. To preach means to proclaim. All of these individuals are proclaiming something. You have supposed know-it-all people on Facebook preaching something. Everybody is a natural disaster expert. 
from their dry home somewhere else in the country. And they proclaim what someone else should do. So they're preaching information, but it doesn't mean it's true. But everybody has a preacher in their life they receive information from. But you have to decide what are you going to receive, what are you going to listen to, and what are you going to live. Because whatever you keep letting in is how you're going to live, even if you come to church on Wednesday and Sunday. Because that's two hours of messages compared to whatever else you do every single day. I was listening to a message about another pastor, and he says, you know why people are so anxious today? Why they're so full of fear? It's because Satan has a shot collar in their back pocket. That every time there's a news report, their phone buzzes, and they read it, and they get in fear. And it buzzes all through the day, and they don't know how to handle it, so they pop pills, smoke weed, and drink. Because of what they're intaking. So you have to balance your intake. It's not just, okay, I don't need to watch this bad movie or listen to this music. No, what else are you allowing on the inside, and how is it competing with the words you're putting in? That's why I said you have to read the word every day out loud. You should listen to a message every single day. And you should come to church. You have to keep pouring in. And if you're in a fight, that means you need to pour in more. Sometimes the fight of faith is the fight to keep from fighting. It's the fight to stay walking in love and not slapping someone. I preached a message one time, what to do when you want to slap a Christian. And after this week, it's like I wanted to line up certain people. It's like, just go ahead and go, pow, just next, pow. Sometimes the fight of faith is the fight to keep from fighting. Because you know that if you engage in the flesh, you're just as bad as them. And so fighting for the faith is fighting for what you believe and making sure you're living that life. So sometimes it's an inward fight. It's not always an ex external enemy. Sometimes it's inner me if you really want to defend the faith. So he said these people crept in unaware, which means to enter secretly and to settle in alongside, that Greek word meant. Amplified classic edition said these people gained entrance by a secret side door. Message verse said they infiltrated our ranks. The New Living Translation said they wormed their way into your churches. And we talked about this group of people in detail last week. Jude said, before of old, ordained to this condemnation, meaning their punishment and judgment were prophesied about a long time ago. He called them ungodly men. It means they are irreverent, destitute of reverence all towards God, or in other words, not only do they not respect God, they act against what God commands and desires. He said, these ungodly people turn or change the grace of God or the teaching of grace into lasciviousness, which means unbridled, lost, be unbridled lust, being promiscuous, or unprincipled in sexual matters. So these ungodly people turn the teaching of grace into teaching people they can live a life of having sex with whoever they want, doing whatever they feel like doing, and whatever feels right to them sexually. Now, these people infiltrated the church and began to teach these things. Living in a society that is mostly unchurched, you don't just need to, those teachings won't just flow from a pulpit. They'll flow from whatever is a platform. It is what Paul talked about, a form of godliness with a deny the power thereof. Preaching comes from all 
directions. Talk, we'll talk, look about it in a few minutes. Doctrines of demons. They're not just in schools or churches. They are everywhere. And the thing is, some people's like, well, I'm going to be on guard when I come to church. Well, okay. But how about be on guard every day? Because we are so wired that I'm going to come to church, I'm going to make sure they're preaching the word. But you believe everything you hear on the news. Well, if it's on TV, it must be true. If it's a meme on Facebook, it has to be the gospel truth. You have to be careful what you believe. We can't be gullible just eating everything if we really want to fight for the faith. He said they deny, they rejected, they refused, they did not accept our only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. We said before that first Lord means master and absolute ruler. Second Lord means supreme and authority. I like this play on words Jude does. He compares people whose lifestyle means their God is their body and their flesh to people whose God should be Jesus and the Father. So he says two groups of people. One people serve God, other people serve themselves. So the occasion of this letter is to combat false teaching and encourage believers to stand strong in what they believe. So the early church was in a constant fight against false teachers and their teaching. These false teachers' purpose was to seduce true believers, put them in bondage, and exploit them. So go to Jude 1.14 and begin to get into some new material tonight. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and all of their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against them. Seems like they're ungodly, they're ungodly, they're ungodly. They have no respect for God. Don't follow them. Now, one of the things you'll see in the book of Jude is he'll use references you can't find other places in the Bible. He'll use things like Enoch. He'll use a conversation about Michael and the archangel versus the devil over the body of Moses. You will not find them in the Old Testament. So if you've been searching in the Old Testament trying to find it, it's not there. Now what Jude did is he spoke about true things by the Holy Ghost from other sources that are outside the Bible. Other historical sources and other things. That does not mean you need to go find those letters and read it thinking you've missed out on some revelation. It just means that one line that Jude said was true and anointed. It doesn't mean you need to go find those letters. It just means he used examples that were true, that the people of that time knew about, and the Holy Ghost told him to use. So don't go try to find that lost letter that says, ooh, I got some new revelation. Please don't do that. Because you'll get caught up in something that's not true just because one line of it's true. It almost goes back to the old phrase, eat the hay, spit the sticks. So if God did not include it in the holy canon, you don't need to read it all. You only need to read what's in this, these 66 books. So he goes on and says, this group of people, they're murmurers, which means they grumble a lot. They're complainers. This word here means discontented or querulous, means complaining in a petulant, childish, or whining manner. 
So they act like children whining about everything. Walking after their own lust or living only to satisfy their desires. And their mouth speaks great swelling words, meaning they are full of themselves and always talking about themselves. They are arrogant and boastful. Having men's persons in admiration because of advantage, that phrase means they flatter people just to get ahead. So they tell people whatever they want to hear just so they can get advantage and get ahead in life. So to sum up what we said tonight and last week, these people who infiltrated their ranks were proud, full of themselves, living only to satisfy their own desires, saying whatever they could to get ahead, defiled their flesh through their lustful living. They hate authority, they hate following rules, and they live in their own filthy fantasy world. Judah's pulling no punches. Jew lumped them in the same category as Sodom and Gomorrah, as the angels that followed Satan in his rebellion, and the children of Israel who died in the wilderness. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be in that group of people. That does not sound like a place that if I want you to compare me to someone, I don't want you to compare me to the one who followed Satan, the people who got burned up, or the people who died in the wilderness. That's not the company I want to keep. He went on and said, they are envious and murderous like Cain, greedy and easily bought like Balaam, and cause strife to make themselves look better like Korah. Jude said to them, woe unto them. That any time you saw Jesus and the gospel say woe, that meant judgment was coming. So Jude said, woe unto them. So like Cain, Balaam, Korah, Sodom, Gomorrah, the fallen angels, and the children of Israel, these individuals and their followers are heading to judgment. Look at verse 17. But, beloved, remember you, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the second time in his letter, Jews trying to remind them about something. He said, They said how they told you that there should be mockers, scoffers in the last time, who should walk after their own ungodly lust. Because you shouldn't be surprised because Jesus' apostles told you it was going to happen before time. This is not new information. So let's look at what the apostles said. Because we said Judah's written between 60, 80, and 80, 80. So that means everything happened either before AD 70, what Judah's referring to. You'll see a lot of comparisons between the book of Jude and 2 Peter. So let's look at first, let's start with 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Let's look at what these apostles said. If you want to be a good student of the Bible, when the Bible says it is written, or remember when they said, go back and find where it is written or what they said. One of the things we do on Wednesday night is Bible study night, so we can get into it and talk about more things if you want to be a better student of the Word. Not everybody wants to. Some people just want, preach me happy and send me home. But some people want to grow on God and make a difference in this life. 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times or in the last days. Now when you read the Bible, when it talks about the last days and the end of time, the last days began on the day of Pentecost. But then there is a phrase 
that the end of time refers to the very last days of the last days. And when you read what Jesus talked about in Matthew 24, there are certain signs that will increase as you get closer and closer to the return of the Lord. So this is talking about things that were already going on in this time, but it's saying that when you get closer, you'll see it more and more. So Paul is writing to Timothy. We'll see also what he said in 2 Timothy. It says, you think today is bad. Guess what's going to happen at the end? To some shall depart from the faith. You can only depart from the faith if you used to walk in the faith. Why will they depart? Giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines or teachings of devils. They will depart from the faith because they began to listen to demons. Now the majority of them did not wake up one night and a devil was sitting in the room. And he began to teach them, and they followed him. That's not what happened, I guarantee you, to 99.9% of them. Because there had to be an open door for the enemy to get in and influence their mind. Remember, Satan only has five tactics, Mark chapter 4. Affliction, persecution, cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, lust of other things. And it says when affliction and persecution are applied... They are offended. And what happens when they're offended? It, means, it says they're scorched away. Every production they had of the word disappears. So even if they were a faithful believer, they served in the church, they had fruit. But once they got offended and stayed in offense, everything they did began to disappear. And it doesn't have any proof that they were ever following the word in the first place. One of the ways Satan gets in, especially today, is through offense. People get offended by everything. We are touchy. Not just millennials. Don't say, yeah, those younger people are touchy. No, they learned it from the baby boomers. Everybody in this nation, touchy. Democrats, touchy. Republicans, touchy. Independents, touchy. Black people, touchy. White people, touchy. All people, touchy. And so what happens? Something happens and they are offended. They hurt my feelings. Did you hear what he said? Did you hear what she said? Did you see what they did? They may never meet them. They can be offended by people they'll never meet, but they got offended because they saw it on TV or saw it on social media. So they are offended, and they begin to run their mouths. We forget that your mouth are seeds. In your mouth, you have seeds that are called words. And Jesus said you'll give an account for every idle word, not just words you say, even words you tweet. And it doesn't mean just at the throne of God, God's going to say we got a lot of stuff to talk about because you've been running your mouth your entire life. That's not the only time there is quote-unquote judgment. It's in this life. So if you're just so free to keep running your mouth about people, and then you say, oh, I don't know why people are hating on me. You sowed hate, so you reaped haters. You apply for a job, but someone says, no, I don't like them because it looks like they're this, this, and that. Where did it come from? You ran your mouth a couple years ago about someone, and you got a harvest. And offense opens the door. Offended by so many different things. 
the enemy can come in and trap them. If we do a sermon on offenses apart, and the New Testament says they are taken captive at Satan's will. Means they've played in his trap, and so they keep living their life. They don't realize they're in Satan's hand. And as soon as he wants to snare them, he goes, because they're offended. Jesus' offense comes to everybody. You will all have an opportunity to be offended. But being offended is a choice. Offense will come to you. But how you deal with the offense will determine if you walk in love and forgiveness and faith or you are offended and lose the production of the word in your life. I've seen many people, even people I grew up who grew up even in this church or in the word of faith, in the teaching of the word, and they got offended by something along the line. And I follow their lives. It's really easy because they put everything online. And there's nothing in their life I want. Why? The offense destroyed all the good things. And they think they are enlightened or woke. Offense. What doors does it open? They get offended, well, that usher didn't hug me right. I don't like how that pastor preached the message. I don't like that decision Bishop made. I don't like this. I don't like that. So they get offended. They back away from church. Not that they just go to another church. They back away from church. They back away from Jesus. And they wonder why the life is the way it is. So they blame the church. They blame Jesus. Even though they turned away from him. So they departed from the faith listening to devils. So as they're offended, they're seducing spirits, little imps, come up to them and said, hey, you know, you have a right to be offended. They knew better. Saying, because remember, all the tactics of Satan are clothed in deception. So backing up what they're thinking, just running their mouth. And the thing is, if they make it too obvious, you know it's the devil, and they know enough word to fight him. So they make it sound like it's you. They make it sound like your thoughts, like things you would say. And it starts off really subtle. Backs up your own thinking. And then it tries to get to move you to get other people offended. And it's really small. It's like gossip. But the thing is, we don't care about gossip anymore because it's a billion-dollar industry right now. And it spreads, and so does slander, and they get farther and farther away. What happens? Seduced by demons, following the teaching of demons, they begin to speak lies and hypocrisy. Not only are they lying, they're hypocrites with what they're saying. Having their conscience seared with a hot iron. That is one of the most damnable positions you could ever be in. A hard heart is one of the most dangerous things on earth. Because a heart that is hard enough won't hear when God's trying to warn them when judgment is coming. Said so their hearts are seared so they can't feel the movement of the Holy Ghost when he's trying to warn them for their safety. 
all because they departed from the faith, they are offended, they listen to devils, they keep speaking lies and hypocrisy. Now they're far from God and they're in the danger zone. Paul said, in the last days, this is going to happen to people. He's not talking about people who've never been to church. He's not talking about unbelievers. He's talking about people who came to the church, got saved, joined the church, were taught the word, got offended, and left. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Jude says, remember what the apostles said. This letter right here is the last one Paul wrote. Notice what it says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. Let's also know that in the last days, perilous or dangerous times shall come. Why shall they come? For men shall be lovers of their own selves. They love themselves. The covetous, the boasters, the proud, the blasphemers, the disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truth breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. He didn't say in the last days people won't love God, but this group of people will love what feels right to them better than loving God. So they love what feels good in their body opposed to loving God. And we know the Bible defines loving God as doing what he says. So it doesn't mean they don't know what he says. They just like what it feels like better than what God says. Having a form of godliness. They have some religiosity. They know spiritual things and spiritual words. But they deny the power thereof. What does Paul say? From such, turn away. Because it goes on. We talked about this in the first week. We're talking about Jews as they go to lead people captive. Go to chapter 4, verse 2. So he tells them, they preach the word, be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine." With all patience and teaching, for the time will come, and it's here today, when they will not endure sound doctrine, sound teaching, whole teaching. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. So what happens? They keep looking for things that are going to back up their own sinful opinion and lifestyle. They're going to keep finding and searching till they find someone that says, it's okay to live the way you're living. It's okay to be offended. It's okay to live that lifestyle. It's okay to be bitter. It's okay to be offended. It's okay to be jealous. It's okay to be greedy. It's okay to do whatever sin you want to do. And so once they find that voice, they can keep listening to it and listening to it. Because they don't want to live right. Jesus said the judgment on his generation is that they love darkness more than they love light. He didn't say they didn't love the things of the light. He says they just love darkness too much. They love darkness more than the light. They will turn their ears away from the truth and they will listen to fairy tales. This is what the apostles warned what would happen in the last of the last days. Go to 2 Peter chapter 2. 
Jew said, remember what they said. Second Peter 3, verse 1, the Holy Ghost says through Peter, This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that you be mindful of the words which were spoken before the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles, the Lord and Savior. So Judah's reminding them 20 years, maybe more later, of what Peter is saying here. He's saying, us, the apostles, Jews said, remember the apostles. He goes on and says, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers or mockers, walking or living after their own lust, and saying, so if you want to know with the people who begin to say these things, you know you shouldn't be listening to them anymore. Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. So they're going to say, well, you've been saying Jesus is coming for a long time now. Where is he? Ever since the apostles, church fathers died, everything is the same. Where is your Jesus? When is he coming back? For this they willingly are ignorant of. They made a choice to be ignorant. It's one thing to be ignorant. is another thing to make a choice to be ignorant. That by the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition or destruction of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt away with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned. So, what is he saying? Because the only reason Jesus hasn't already come back is because God is patient and he wants more people to be saved. So he says, don't think that God forgot about his promise. It's all going to happen. And these people who used to walk with God who left, they're willingly ignorant of the fact that judgment came in Noah's day. And that judgment is coming again. But this time, God made a promise to Noah, said, I will never flood the earth again. So it doesn't matter how much it rains or how bad floods get, they have to be stopped at a certain point because God said the earth will never flood again. So that's how you use it. When you see storms coming in, you can remind the world what God said. You cannot flood everywhere. He says, when the judgment comes at the very end, it's not going to be flooded by water. It will be flooded by fire. At the very end, God will burn up everything and start over again. Because they know it, but they choose to be ignorant of it. He said, I want to remind you of this. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1 says, But there were false prophets also among the people, talking about the Old Testament, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, 
even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. He's not talking about unbelievers. He's talking about people in the church. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of the truth shall be evil spoken of. Let's get down to verse 14. These same people, same people Jude talked about and Paul talked about, having eyes full of adultery. That word adultery actually means adulteress, so they're always watching porn. And that cannot cease from sin. Beguiling unstable souls, they're trapping people who aren't strong in their faith. They have a heart that is exercised or trained with covetous practices. It means they are expert at being greedy. Cursed children, meaning they live under the curse, which have forsaken the right way, meaning they knew the right way, and are gone astray following the way of Balaam. We talked about that last time. Who love the wages of unrighteousness. What else does Peter say about these people? Verse 22. But this has happened unto them according to the true proverb. The dog is turned to his own vomit again. And the soul that washed to her wallowing in the mire. So these people, although they were saved and left, just like a dog, if you let a dog, a dog will eat its own vomit. Even though what, they, what was causing them to be sick, they threw up, they'll go back and eat it. So he compares them to dogs who eat vomit and pigs. That even if you clean up a pig, what's going to happen? As soon as they get to a mud pit again, they're going to get dirty. So he says they're acting like dogs and pigs. They went back to what God delivered them from. And if you don't keep doing what God has called you to do, you will go back to the same place God delivered you from. And people began to say, well, I guess it didn't work. No, it worked, but you got offended, listened to devils, and went back where you came from. Remember we said last week, Jews said, remember how when God saved people from Egypt, they were destroyed in the wilderness. It wasn't because God made a decision for them. It's because they made their own decisions. That although Solomon and Gomorrah was destroyed, it wasn't like they never had a righteous witness. Lot was righteous, yet he was ineffective, but they saw what a righteous man is supposed to live. Abraham saved that whole metro area. They were attacked by five kings. Women and children were taken away. The kings were taken away. Abraham and his 316 went and rescued them and brought them back. So they saw a man of God in action under the blessing, yet they decided to keep living the way they want to live. And judgment came to them. So Jesus says, remember what they said. Don't be caught off guard. Don't think, wow, this is something really weird that's going on today. No. Jesus said, the Lord told you a long time ago it's going to happen. And I want to remind you about it. To so go back to Jew. Look at verse 19 now. So these be they who separate themselves or cause division and strife, sensual or fleshly. Why do they do these things? They don't have the spirit. 
They don't have the Holy Ghost. They're not working with the Holy Ghost. So Jude reminds them again, don't follow them thinking that, oh, they must be good people. The Holy Ghost must be using them. No, they don't have the Holy Ghost. But he says, but you, beloved. Now Jude is about to give you advice on how to rescue those heading to judgment. He says, but you, beloved. He just said they do these things so they don't have the Holy Ghost. But if he says, but you, that means you have the Holy Ghost. So because you have the Holy Ghost, you have to be different. Beloved, remember, you are loved by God and loved by me. Building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Building up means to rise like an edifice higher and higher or build a superstructure. So a lot of people say, well, I'm saved. That's good. No, don't just stop with your salvation. That's the doorway. There is some building, there is some assembly required. So although you may get saved and your salvation, although you're going to heaven, you aren't in a big salvation house. You got a one-room New York apartment, not a one-room Georgia apartment that could be 600 to 800 square feet or even bigger, that 476 square feet closet. He says, rise like an edifice higher and higher. Add some rooms to your spiritual house. And after you do that, add another floor. Add a basement. Add a guest house. Keep going up. Build a skyscraper. Build like that tower in Dubai. Keep going higher and higher and higher. Don't ever quit. How do you do it? By praying in the Holy Ghost, praying in other tongues. So Jude is giving advice how you don't become like these people and how you rescue people caught up in those lies. You need to pray in the Holy Ghost. 1 Corinthians 14 tells us that when we pray in the Holy Ghost, we build ourselves up. We're praying out mysteries, which are divine secrets, plans, and purposes. If you want to go higher with God, you have to pray in the Holy Ghost on a consistent basis, not just when you come to church. You have to spend more time praying in other tongues. Keep yourselves or keeping yourselves in the love of God. One other thing about this word, building yourself up, some scholars said a modern-day translation if you use the Greek today, it would mean to charge yourself. A lot of people fall into the traps of the enemy because they ran out of power. If I'm going to use my iPad here, I have to charge it up. If I'm going to use it for the whole message, it has to be a long charge. Just like we are faithful to charge our devices. That I don't know about you, I feel weird when my phone dies and I can't call no one. Even if I don't want to call anyone, I have no access to it because my phone died. We are faithful about plugging our phones or devices in. Some of us even have external batteries you carry around just in case you run out of power. If we're so faithful with our cell phones to charge them up, how much more should we be faithful with our spirits? And keep ourselves in a place where we never run out of power. Because if you run out of power, you act like the rest of the world and fall into the trap of the enemy. 
So he says, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep or keeping yourselves in the love of God. Praying in the Holy Ghost will keep you in the center of the love of God. It will keep you from cussing people out. How do I know? You can't cuss people out the same time you're speaking in tongues. It's hard to go from, oh, bleep you. It's a hard thing to do. So if you have a trouble cussing people out, you need to talk in tongues longer. How long till you stop cussing them out? It's like, ooh, they start speaking another language. Yes, because I was speaking a language you were going to understand. I was going to mess up my witness. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Pray in the Holy Ghost. He is the Spirit of God. He is the Spirit of love. You spend more time praying in the Holy Ghost, you will walk in love. You have to walk in love. Why? God is love. If you spend more time praying in the Holy Ghost, it'll be easier for you to walk in love. That God will be right there just when you want to slap somebody. Just when you want to tell them where they can go and lay hands on them suddenly. Your sense, that peace of God rising up says, okay, don't kill them. You don't want someone to come bail you out right now. You got to stay in the love of God. You have to walk in love. If you're going to rescue those who are heading to judgment, you have to be loved people. Because when things happen, people need people who are full of love to make a difference, not those who are going to judge you. I told you you shouldn't have been sleeping with her in the first place. I told you. Yeah, it hurts when you pee, but I told you you shouldn't do that. (laughs) That is not the first thing... (laughs) That is not the first thing they need to hear. It's not, I told you so. (laughs) Back to Jude. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. So what is looking for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life? It's looking for the return of the Lord. Go to 1 John chapter 3. First John 3, verse 1. Behold what man of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knows us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now we are the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that has this hope in him purifies himself, even as he is pure. If you keep in your mind that Jesus could come back at any second, it will affect your decision-making. You're not going to be so inclined to smoke weed because you may be concerned that Jesus may crack the sky. And how is it going to look like when he cracks the sky, there's a trumpet and you're going, Jesus, I I didn't inhale. (laughs) How is that going to look? That you've been living right, but you're just having an off day. And so he's like, you know what? I'm just going to go act like you. So I'm just going to the club tonight. So you go to the club, and you find 
the greatest thought you can find. Not thought, thought. And as they're backing it up, dun to dun. Jesus, this is not what it looks like. I came to win people to you. I was trying to be a light in a dark place. That doesn't work. So if you're always keeping in your mind that Jesus can come back at any second, it will affect your decision making. Go back to Jude. <laughs> Actually, go to Luke 12, then we'll go to Jude. Luke chapter 12, verse 45, parable of Jesus. It says, but if this, that servant say in his heart, my Lord delays in his coming and shall begin to beat the men, servants, and maidens and to eat and drink and to be drunken. One of the things you see in this parable is an example of a person who's supposed to be serving God. And they say, well, my master, my Lord, is not coming back from a long while so I can do whatever I want to do. So they mistreat those under him and they live a drunken lifestyle. So if you keep in your mindset that Jesus come back at any moment, you're going to treat people right. And you're not going to get drunk and high. Because at any moment you think Jesus can come back. It affects your decision making and how you treat others. When I study different awakenings and revivals and moves of God on this continent and others, one of the things that would always come up is they were all absolutely convinced Jesus was about to come back. And the Great Awakening that started the United States, they said, well, let's begin to pray for the return of the Lord. They were convinced Jesus was coming back at any moment. Every awakening, every revival, you go back to Azusa, they thought Jesus is about to come back. You listen to old messages like Catherine Kuhlman and other people, they're convinced Jesus is about to come back. Why? The Holy Ghost wants it in everyone's mind because they're going to live differently. So whether it's coming back in five days or 500 years when the Holy Ghost moves, one of the things he leaves in people's minds is Jesus is coming soon. Because it helps you live a different life. Go back to Jew. Who says, pray in the Holy Ghost. Keep yourself in the love of God. Walk in love. Keep in your mind that Jesus is coming back. And of some, verse 22, have compassion. That's love in action. Making a difference. With the power of the Holy Ghost and the love of God, and keeping yourself pure, you allow God to use you at the highest level. Hebrews 1.9 says, Jesus was more anointed according to the psalmist because he loved righteousness and hated iniquity. That's called purity. Living a pure lifestyle allows God to move through you in a greater level. It determines what type of vessel you are. God doesn't determine what type of vessel you are. You determine what type of vessel you are. And how much you can use you is not up to God. It's up to you and your lifestyle. Another translation is making a distinction. What is that distinction? Loving the person, hating the sin. You can love a person and not judge them. But it doesn't mean you approve of what they do. Our generation has a twisted view of love. It means love approves and accepts everything you do. No, that is not true. You can love a person but not like what they do. 
Another translation says, have compassion on those who are doubting. So there's some people who may get caught up in these lies we read about early in Jude because they began to have doubts in their faith. Some of them because they got offended and started listening to devils. What he said for them, have compassion on those who are struggling in their faith. Why? Doubt is connected to fear. And the love of God, perfected love, drives out fear. So if you are love in action, love in motion, you'll be able to drive out the fear and doubt in their life and bring them back to where they're supposed to be. This compassion is the flowing of the love of God. It is the love of God in action. It is the power of God because God is love. The anointing is the power of God, the power of love. This compassion leads to some sort of action. You see it throughout the Gospels, Jesus was moved with compassion. But Jesus said he only did what he saw his father do. He only said what he heard his father say. So even if he was moved with compassion, he always asked God what to do. And so when God gave him what to do, that is the wisdom of God. So where the wisdom of God met the love of God, there was the miraculous. So although you are moved with compassion for somebody, just don't do the first thing that pops into your mind. Ask God, what should I do? And whatever he tells you to do, that's what you do. Some have compassion making a difference. Others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. Now, I know some who have taken this scripture very literally. When I was at school at ORU, there was a ministry that had the most creative outreaches you could ever think of. So in October, you know if you have people have, you know, the haunted houses and hell houses, they had this elaborate production that gothic people would sign up to go and say, oh, we're tough enough, we can go through it. By the time they got to the end, they are weeping and crying. And they have ministry room people right there, it's okay, you want to know Jesus, come here. And the posters they put up was, some saved by fear. Now, that's not something I'm going to do, but I saw thousands get saved. Now, it reminds me of the ministry of Jonathan Edwards. He preached a message called, Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God. And he wasn't talking about that God is waiting to judge people. He said, man is like a spider on the end of a spider web, hanging over a fireplace. And the only thing keeping that spider from dropping into the fireplace is the hand and the string. This is God is that hand and the string is the time people have been given on earth. Because when that string snaps, they plunge into eternal judgment. So he began to preach that message. But the thing is, he wasn't an exciting preacher that says he just read his notes monotone. So he preached that message at his home church. And they said, well, good message, pastor. Good job. He went on the road, preached that message, just reading it, and the Holy Ghost began to move. It says people felt like they were sliding into hell. If you felt like you were sliding into hell, you run to the altar and repent too. So that's what happened. He began to preach how man is a sinner. He began to preach that man is heading to hell. And as he's preaching that, the end would be, but there's grace, you can be saved. So preaching that message is what some people need to get their lives right. Some need you to manifest the love of God. Some need you to remind them there is a hell. And hell is not forever. There is its, its holding place. The lake of fire is forever. 
So some need you to be moved with compassion, and some need you to save by preaching what is the truth that you are heading to hell. That doesn't mean that's what you say to everybody you meet. You know you're going to hell? That is not a great opening conversation. So when are you supposed to say that? How do you know the difference? Asking God. What should I say? What should I do? Then you can be like Jesus. Only say what you hear your father say and only do what you see your father do. The toughest words, words Jesus ever said were always to the religious people. To the religious people that knew better but weren't living close to God. That's where his toughest words came. He called them all sorts of names. Snakes. Whitewashed tombs. You look good on the inside but you're death on the, uh, on the inside. He said, King Herod, see, King Herod wanted to see him. And this is right after he killed his cousin. So you go tell that fox this, that, and the other. His toughest words were to those who knew better. But he only said those things because that's what his father said. But then there were two others who were considered the worst of the worst, the sinner of sinners. And those weren't what he said to them. He says, your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. He healed them. He spent time with them. Sinners wanted to be around him. The religious people hated him. And so sinners don't want to be around you. You're not as much like Jesus as you think you are. Because Jesus never compromised, yet sinners wanted to be around him. We have to be the same way if we expect to fulfill our purpose which is to make Jesus famous in Atlanta beyond by being a blessing to neighborhoods and nations and to fulfill the purpose from why the church was founded, to be a place where people who have been hurt by church can be healed. We have to fulfill our purpose. Hating even the garment spotted by the flesh, don't compromise. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. And to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. This verse is powerful, but it's even more powerful in the context. He just talked about the people that used to go to church, left church, and now in the same group as Sodom and Gomorrah, the angels that follow Satan, and the children of Israel in the wilderness, as Balaam, as Korah, as Cain. He talked about people who walked with God and left are now God's enemies. But he's telling you that doesn't have to be you. If you stick with God, you pray in the Holy Ghost, you walk in love, you look for the return of Jesus, not only will God present you faultless, he will keep you from falling. There is a place you can get in your Christian walk where you never fall. And that's where God wants to take you because if you're living that life, you can help more people. In our Christian life, we have to move from what can God do for us to what can God do through us. If we really want to make a difference, we have to be vessels of God. We have to be the hands and feet of Jesus, not caring what people say about us, especially the religious people that left and are bitter and offended. Because they may be your worst critics. You can't be moved by them. You only can be moved by the word, the love of God, and the Holy Ghost. To present you before his presence of his glory with exceeding joy. A lot of people, we talked about this before, are afraid of judgment day. And 1 John 4 teaches if you're afraid of judgment day, you're not perfected or matured in the love of God. And so if you're afraid of one day standing before God 
and being judged, you're not as grown up in love as you think you are. But Jude says that God can present you in his presence at that day with exceeding joy. So instead of being afraid of Judgment Day, you're looking forward to Judgment Day. Ooh, I can't wait for Judgment Day to get here. I'm so excited about Judgment Day. People think you're crazy. But the only reason you can have exceeding joy at Judgment Day is know you've got a reward coming. That I'm going to hear, well done. That God's going to say, you did a good job. Here's your crown. Here's your reward. Enter into the joy of your master. So you look forward to Judgment Day because you know God said you did awesome. Here's your reward. So you can either be afraid of Judgment Day or you can look forward to it. Because if you're looking forward to it, that means you've grown up in the love of God. You're living the life of love. And you don't see God as some judge waiting to zap you. They're saying, that's my father. That's my friend. See, I got favor with the judge. The judge likes me. He's looking to help me out. To get me out of whatever I might get myself into. He loves me. So I'm not afraid to stand before him. I'm looking forward to stand before him. Kenneth Hagin says, I keep in my mind every day of my life that one day I will stand before God. You need to keep that in your mind too. But not in a way that you are afraid to stand before God, but that you're looking forward to stand before God. And when you stand before him, you are not just coming by yourself. Because it talks about the wedding supper of the Lamb. When you get to the wedding supper of the Lamb, will you have a plus one? Will there be anyone who got to heaven because you lived a faithful life? Or will it just be you? You should be able to stand before God with exceeding great joy and look around and look at all the people you brought with you and rejoice in his presence. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty and dominion and power both now and ever. Amen. And that is the book of Jude. Stand to your feet. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Let's lift our hands and thank God for the word of God we received tonight. Father, we thank you for the ministry of your spirit and the teaching of the word of God. Now we ask that you help us live it. That you help us make a difference. That you help us bring other people to the saving knowledge. That you help us rescue those who are heading towards judgment. That you help us to fulfill our purpose to become a place where the broken can be healed and made whole. Where people far from you can be brought to you. By the word we're taught tonight. Let it produce in our life a hundredfold. In Jesus' name. Amen. You put your hands down, every head bow, every eye closed in prayer. No one moving or walking unless you've been assigned to do so. We don't want to close out a faith experience without giving you an opportunity. I hope you enjoyed today's message. We never want to close a broadcast without giving you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord of your life. So if you've never asked him into your heart, you've never made him your Lord and Savior, pray this prayer with me today and mean it from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he died for me, but on the third day, you raised him from the dead. Dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me now. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit and help me to live this Christian life. If you prayed that prayer and meant it from your heart, we believe you've been born again. We ask that you email us at info at FCCGA.com. That's FCCGA.com to let us know about the decision you've made for Christ today. Have an amazing day.